one of our guests here is Richard Gallagher. Um, he's with the U. He was with the U.S. Army, and just a little bit, um, Richard. He entered the um, army in April of '43. Um, so, first off, let me ask you this, because um, Richard, first of all, thank you for joining us. Number one, um, but why don't we first start off with just telling us a little bit about kind of where you came from and what it was that you entered the army for, and just give me a little background about yourself and whatever you'd like to share. I'm from East Tennessee here. I was born in Knoxville. lived within 50 miles of here all my life. And we were very patriotic. And as I grew up, particularly during the 30s, I guess from the time I was 12 years old, I knew the war was coming. Mm. And we just assumed the fact that we were going. Yeah. And when I uh, got ready to leave high school, there's a group of us said, we'd all come back to Harriman and Joined, joined together. Hmm. We didn't do that, but that was what we were really considering. Yeah. So I entered the UT, and as things grew uh, closer, I wanted to take this advanced military. Uh, to do that, you had to join the reserves. So I joined the reserves. And uh, my dad and I talked it over in hopes I could get through my college. And I was in my junior year. But I was uh, serving uh, as a, an apprentice at a paper mill as part of my training. And after the, uh, Pearl Harbor, the next day when I walked in, every man in there was ready to quit their job, get in the Army, and go fight. Mm. Of course, that was impractical, we knew. But right. Then as I came on back, well, I, I did uh, volunteer to to be in the reserves and uh, until the emergency arose. And in March, they at UT, the first time I went back into Kleist there, they said the emergency is here, and we're calling all the reserves up. So I had two weeks to get ready to go into the Army. And so we had to check out a school, and all the people, the boys that were in the reserves, left UT, which was almost every man in UT left that one day. And the Air Corps were sending young men over here uh, to be trained. Well, we left, and uh, I went into basic training. And from there, we were waiting to go into uh, our officer's training. But that took a little while because they were full. By the time they opened up, it had been uh, about six months, hmm. and I was just traveling around, waiting time. And uh, so I went into officer's training. The only thing is I have no uh, sense of rhythm, <laughs> and my feet don't go where my ears are hearing, so I couldn't <laughs> give commands on the right foot. Or the correct foot. I mean, Mark right. deals with that every day. <laughs> it's a bad situation. It, yeah. I didn't realize really what it was till much later. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't make it, so back in the Army I went as a private. And as I stayed a private most of the time, I was in there. But uh, that's what it was when we got ready to start. Mm. Now, Every, I mean, if I look at your dates and I, I think about the timeline of World War II, I mean, you were right in the thick of it. And you were in yeah. Europe, you were in Asia. 
Um, you you mentioned to me earlier that you were in the Philippines when Nagasaki and Hiroshima happened, right? That's right. Um, how did that? I mean, I don't even know where to begin because yeah. there's so much that you could you could share. But just tell me what the feeling was like when you first made that decision. You know, I'm sure it when Pearl Harbor happened, that probably planted the seed. That's right. And then yeah. it came to flourishing, I guess, in '43 when you were ready to enter. Talk about the feeling of of the responsibility you felt to really serve your country. Well, I thought it, that was just normal. Mm. If the United States uh, was in war, then it was my duty to do what I could to help them. And seeing what was happening in Europe, uh, they closed all the churches, mm. and they were eliminating the Jews. And that was, I felt like, man, the whole world ought to go over there and do something Absolutely, about that. Yeah. So I was part of that world. And this is what I did. And even though I didn't make an officer, I was still did everything I could, which wasn't much uh, in the Army. Because after I volunteered to, to go in, the draft board chairman called my daddy and said, why would you let him go in? He could have stayed and finished his college if, if he had wanted to, and then I would have gone to Oak Ridge to work. Right. But I'd rather go ahead and and spend that three years in the Army. Yeah. Well, when you mentioned earlier about, you know, that you were a private. Yes. And that that's, was the capacity that you served. Yes. And, of course, you served alongside other ranks and other people. And that's one of the things, when I look at what the greatest generation accomplished, it was people from all different sides of life and yes. different, yes. just different cultures and all of that. Talk about how it felt, because you were from East Tennessee, like you mentioned. And you were being integrated in with people from New York, people from the West Coast. How was that? Because you, you guys really came together as this band of brothers, really. That's right. And how did that feel? Talk about that. It, it was difficult because yeah. there were different customs, and they used different words. And <laughs> at times, I, I used the wrong word not knowing it and almost got in a fight Yeah. because I called somebody what I thought was a nickname, and it wasn't. <laughs> so, so I had some some trouble there, and I say the outfit I ended in was uh, sort of a varied outfit. That mm -hmm. one guy had been a, a bootlegger, or well, operated still. Another guy had been a pimp. Wow! And, and another guy had run a, a hardware store. Yeah. And so we were from all walks of life. And another yeah. guy was a crane operator. He turns out to be my squad leader. <laughs> and I was supposed to teach him how to build stuff in, in two hours, mm. which was a little difficult to do, but I did my best. Mm -hmm. and so I, I served under him, Yeah, behaved myself. It was good <laughs> being a private because nobody looked after you. Right. You, you pretty much just you know, took the orders and did what you had to do. That's right. And when nobody said anything, I did what I wanted to do. Mm. But being from Harriman, you're from Harriman, correct? That's, that's right. So w what type of culture shock was all of this military thing and all these people? I mean, how did that impact you personally? Well, I don't know that that, I even realized there was a culture shock. Okay. That they fed me pretty well. Actually, I had more money than I had ever had before mm -hmm. until I got married, and uh, things changed then. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, 
it was it was different, but it's what I had expected. Mm-hmm. I grew up expecting that I would do this. Mm-hmm. Well, I just think about when I moved to Atlanta back in like '98, and I was not in a war. <laughs> I was simply moving to Atlanta. And I just remember it's a tough town though. It, it, yeah, it is. But, but I just remember the, the change of atmosphere that occurred. And so going from the Hills of East Tennessee, which is a beautiful, well-respected part of the world, then putting yourself into Asia and Europe and all these different places for how old were you at the time? Approximately. I was 21, 21 years old. You know, that's quite a bit to take in. And I think that's, yes. that's one of the things that impresses me amongst a lot of other things is that these folks were able to, to basically adapt so quickly. Um, let me ask you this um, a little bit about how you, you talked about Pearl Harbor. You yeah. talked about that you guys were almost instantaneously wanting to go and join. Um, talk about the flip side of that. Once, once we actually delivered what, what I would call um, the final blow, you know, which was, I guess, in August of, of 90 of a uh, 45. Um, Talk about that feeling as you sat in the Philippines and you heard the news. I mean, y'all didn't know exactly when it was going to happen. Obviously, it was news to you as well. Yes, it was. Um, but talk about the emotions and how that felt. Was it was it relief? Was it fear? Well, it's sort of a shock in a way. For one thing, is it sort of a double shock for me, since they, uh, since three of my family's farm was taken over for for mm. That and it turns out that the material for that first bomb came from my grandfather's uh, great grandfather's farm no area kidding. where it was where it was developed. Wow. I was glad to know what was going on up there. Mm. So was, that was the first you had known of it. That's right. You oh, could. Wow. The it was such that nobody would speak of what was going on up there, and if they you ask somebody questions, they answer truthfully, but they didn't tell you what was going on. They answered it in a different way, such as how many of the people up there work. And the answer was about half of them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for those who don't know, he's talking about the Manhattan Project, the Oak yes. Ridge, the secret city, going from not even on the map to being the third largest city in the entire state overnight. So that's what he's speaking of in that they took people's farms and land and it was just a very secret thing. And it was kind of a, just, they overtook the area. So that's, that's right. what he's it, talking about. It completely went from farmland to 75,000 people in a little over a year. Mm-hmm. And I got a chance to see the very start of that, uh, construction out there mm. and also see part of it to, uh, in four months, how much progress they had made. And uh, but my feeling was when that bomb went off, hey, that's a good thing. Mm. This is where I want to go work, not mm. on the bomb, but right. on the use of that energy. Right. Oh wow! So great so line. That's a really good line. That's a takeaway for me. So so the emotions that you felt were number one. I can't even imagine because here you are revealed now what was happening in that farm that your great grandfather owned. Yes. You all of a sudden realize this, but then also, I mean, here you are, I don't know how many miles the Philippines is from Japan, but you get orders that you're to go to Japan. That's right. How did that feel? Well, I did, I just didn't feel on that. When orders yeah. came, you just went. Right. Well, did you, so, did, were you, was it near the, the bombing sites or was it just? Oh, in the, no, it wasn't near the bombing sites and, 
But you certainly were going to see some of the devastation by the people. Yes, and I did see some of the devastation. I never saw combat. Mm -hmm. I saw the results of combat. Mm. And uh, even when I got to Japan, it was quite... Now, that was a culture shock when I went up there. I bet. But in the Philippines, I did go out and actually visit with some of these people that lived in the Philippines that had lived under the the Japanese rule mm-hmm. and could hear what they had to say. So I got a lot of how people reacted to this war and what happened to them. Because yeah. actually I had a cousin that was on Corregidor when this war started. Mm-hmm. And when they invaded there, while well, he was taken off on submarines,